Hey everyone, welcome to Creepy Inquiries, a podcast dedicated to all things creepy, spoopy, and true crimey. With your hosts, S. Kevin and Edie, your friendly neighborhood queers. Kevin, hey, are you broad- are you broadcasting from Brooklyn, Unky Kevin? Are you live from New sure York? Sure, am live from New York. Live from New York, it's Kevy. <gasps> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Very nice view. Thank you. Yeah, it's not mine, but I enjoy well, it when I'm here. I mean, it's <laughs> it is a gorgeous <laughs> view, and you're an in-law. It's great. Yes, yes, yes. My brother-in-law does every time he sees me. Tells us. That he listens to our episode, so he knows oh. a lot about us. Mark, thank you. <laughs> I remember at the wedding, Kevin, he and I had, or the wedding weekend, really, he and I had uh-huh. very, like, intense conversations about the pod. So, hi, Mark. Glad you're here. <laughs> and he's always giving me good recommendations for other pods to listen to, such as You're Wrong About, such we as Maintenance Phase. My uh, actual and- favorite. Yeah, yeah. Maintenance phase is great. It's so yeah. good. Also, if you haven't read uh, Audrey Gordon's book, it's incredible. No, I haven't. Yeah, she's the host. She's the, one of the hosts of Maintenance Phase. Uh-huh. Um, she has a book called What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat. Um, it's okay. really good. It's really nice. good. Nice. She's like a fat advocate. Love her. Love it. Yeah, so we're here. It's episode 47 y'all like give it up oh my gosh in 20 episodes we might be able to retire we'll be so (laughs) done that we're going to retire Edie, who else is 47 celebrities who are 47 you know who's 47 former uk prime minister liz truss (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh. as well as raining. Leonardo DiCaprio, Angelina oh, Jolie, Toby nice. Maguire. I thought she okay. was older. Curtis Fifty Cent Jackson. Oh, for oh. some reason I thought he was fifty. I thought he was older. Mel B, just... Sarah Paulson, <gasps> Michael oh. Bublé, Kate Winslet. Yes. That's wow. a great list. So a lot of people are 47. So we're Lots in great of company. people are 47. We are in excellent company this week. Jesse Tyler mm-hmm. Ferguson. Shout out to 1975. Thanks for being here. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks 1975. Um, soon to be, reason. my brother-in-law is going to be 47. Not Ooh. yet, but in a couple of months. Well, happy early birthday. Indeed. But yeah, we got really good 47-year-old people. Which is literally yeah. the same thing as having our 47th episode of this podcast. It's the we same thing. Being 47, 47 and episode 47 are the same. 
It's a whole 47 thing. Yeah. years worth of work. Get into it. But yeah, like today, um, this is this is our post-Halloween episode. So Halloween's yeah. come and gone already. November 2nd? All Saints Day, if my oh, lapsed Catholic mind. No, there's all Souls Some... Day. And then there's all Saints Day. I'm out. I don't know. And I think I one is, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Fuck them. <laughs> Fuck it. Who cares? <laughs> no one. Not a one. <laughs> Not nobody. Listeners, let us know if you care about All Saints Day today. Do you today. care? Sorry. You know what? I can you. go ahead and say, I bet they don't. I bet they don't. But I, I would still love to hear them say, no, I don't care. I would love a collage of people saying Cared that. enough to tell us that they don't care. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Well, um, Miss, you mentioned that you went to a Halloween party over the weekend. How did that go? Guys, y'all, I was social. I did it. I, you I did left my it. house. What? You left, left your house, house and did it. Yeah, I, uh, oh, here, i And I'll now you're rubbing you. some kind of, like, balm on yourself? It's Biofreeze. Biofreeze. <laughs> I got a weird twinge in my shoulder right here. That's really bad. She was social, and now she's got a Biofreeze. She was social, and now that, that tore into her, yeah. My mutant body just rejects it. I, <laughs> here, let me send you a picture of how adorable I looked. I was obviously Yay. just a cat in a onesie. Yes. Um, uh, your cat costume significantly better than Baltimore City State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby's hot oh my SWAT God. officer costume. I'm not what? a regular SWAT what? officer. I'm a hot SWAT officer. A sexy what? SWAT officer. And, and tell him what her husband is. Nick Mosby was a knocker, a guy in plain clothes that does like enter. What? Is that, a, is that a joke? No, it the president be. of our city council. <laughs> It was a tweet and delete scenario. Oh my god, the yep. cat! I'm seeing the cat picture. Very, very cute, listener. Uh, very there's cute. there's Ooh. makeup to show little whiskies and I love little, it. The little um, nose, a little cat nose, very jellical mouth. No, we know where you live, miss. Don't worry. Well, we'll we're not in, we're not singing cats. Look, when I tell people, Hey, I don't like musicals. They're like, what? Why? And I'm like, Oh, well, I never was there <laughs> Musicals are bad. But have you seen False. the movie? I love musicals. I have avoided the movie. Please I've don't avoid it. I've avoided don't. it. You can I skip James it. Corden's Bustopher Jones? Can I skip it? You sure can, but don't skip Rebel Wilson and don't skip the rest Rebel of Rebel Wilson, I saw that Rebel Wilson unzips her mm-hmm. cat skin Yep. To reveal further cat skin in a different outfit? Correct. Absolutely. Disgusting. Logic Disgusting. is suspended. They make Sir Ian McKellen drink out of a milk saucer. Disgusting. Come on. No, you, should, you don't do that to Sir Ian. He's been through he's enough. A, he's fucking knighted, okay? He, he is. is a sir. He is well, they also had the Dame Judi Dench being whatever. You know what's crazy is these people agreed to it. Yeah. They apparently these went things. to like weeks of cat acting yes. training, <laughs> learned how to like lick their hands and stuff. Miss, did you I go to cat not. acting for this party? 
Yeah. How, what training authentic? did you do? Um, I've been training for four years with my little assholes that I live with. Your at-home training. Uh, true. Mm-hmm. True. My Your coaches. I've been training for four years. Method. I've been. Mm-hmm. Question. Do you use a cat-sized litter box or did you find something, a bigger vessel for litter? I just pooped my pants because it was like a onesie. Got it, got it, got it, got it. So like I didn't know how to do it without like getting like the whole costume in the litter. So Mm. I just I just did it and I just threw it away. Okay. One and done. Dump and chuck. Please don't think that I dumped in my Halloween costume. It's not true. (laughs) Well, you heard it here first. It was a bit. It was a bit. (laughs) You heard it here first that Miss denies taking a shit in her Halloween costume. (laughs) Do we believe bold her? Claim. Hmm. Yeah. That is a bold claim. But I did go to a party. I did yes. socialize. I had a lot of yes. fun. It was nice to hey. see people. That's great. Um, yeah. I didn't regret it, which I'm very happy about because I was like, yes. I don't know in the last time I was people-y. I don't know if I can handle all these peoples. And it was good. It was good. good. I had a great time. I'm glad. Edie, how I'm was so your glad. weekend? Uh, it was also good. I went shopping yesterday for multiple tubes of Pillsbury cookie dough, Hell cookie yeah. dough, mm-hmm. and a couple of boxes get, like, of shapes? a Betty Crocker. I didn't even bother with Halloween shapes. Didn't I even bother, bother with shapes? it. No, I here's why. Here's why. Because they're not for the kids. They're for oh. us to enjoy and to give to our uh, neighbors as they're porching and handing out candy and stuff. Mm. And last year I did a whole thing with like doing little vampire bites in, mm-hmm. um, in red frosting on every mm-hmm. single cookie and every single brownie. And I'm not doing it this time. Didn't make it taste any That's better. A- did it? No, Martha it didn't. Stewart bullshit. Yeah. No, yeah. fuck that. Fuck Martha Stewart. And so True I did words. not do that. I'm just doing regular cookies and regular, regular brownies. Yup. And I just uh, baked brownie batch number one because they kind of take longer in the oven. Mm. Hopefully we'll just get it all done this evening. Nice. If I don't get it all done tonight, I That's will a lifestyle choice. procrastinate work stuff and do it tomorrow. And think how I early you'll don't get it have done the time. You don't want to work. That's so true. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> I don't want to work. No, yeah. I do. I love my job. We all love. Yeah, our I jobs. say that too, and I'm like, no, I actually really like my job, so I can't. Yeah, I've been I complaining about my job since I was like 15, and I finally have a job that I I enjoy, and yeah, it is it's a muscle. It's hard for me to turn that off sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I'm I like, just oh wait, I don't about- actually hate this job. <laughs> yeah. Like, sometimes would I rather be a person of leisure? Of course. Yes, yes I would. Here's I want grapes now. dropped into my open mouth Ugh. as I lounge on a divan. A <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yeah, I'm excited for this episode because yeah. a, I yeah. just get to sit around and listen to really cool stories. I'm assuming they're cool stories. I don't know what they oh. are yet. Oh, you're not oh. ready. You're not ready for my spoopy story. Oh God. I'm very and I'm excited. not ready for Mrs. True Crime Story. So no, none of us I'm, are ready. No. Should we wait? My body is ready. <laughs> Let us wait one moment. <laughs> Let's give this episode a moment of peace <laughs> or silence. Are we ready now? <laughs> <laughs> I have been wanting to do this story for a while. I've been following it since like the beginning of last year. 
Nice. So something something recent? Yeah. Well, the crime is not recent, but it mm. was in the news recently. Okay. Mm. Today, I am going to cover the Black Widow, Margaret Rudin. Margaret Rudin. Ooh. Margaret Rudin. Maggie, who are you? Marge. We'll just, we're just going to have to find out. On May 2nd, 2001, after a nine-week trial, over 100 witnesses and five days of deliberation, Margaret Rudin was found guilty of murdering her husband, Ron Rudin, in their home, in their bed in 1994. Mm-hmm. And during sentencing, the judge said, quote, you're going to be locked away in the cold confines of your prison cell, never to be heard from again. And oh, That's harsh. That's not a great thing to say it's not you shouldn't be saying that well you know what you should say what he should have said to her was you are brilliant uh you (laughs) could have been a lawyer i would have have loved (laughs) to see you practice in front of me i guess because she was a middle-aged woman and not ted bundy (laughs) not ted bundy (laughs) yeah and we're in nevada not florida so Mm, but nothing is as it seems This story has so many things that I love about true crime. We have eight divorces, a murder, a fugitive on the run, a crazy fucking trial with attorneys and a judge who collectively lost their fucking minds. I can't wait to hear this. An exoneration after 23 years in prison. Yes, 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 yes. All the elements we love. But I am interested. Keep that in mind as we go through this and think like, because she was not, it wasn't vacated because she was innocent. It was vacated Mm. because it was ineffective assistance of counsel. Oh gosh, now you're in my house. Oh no. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yes. We're in your home now. Okay. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. Watch out. Knocking on the door. So let's start with Ron Rudin. Mm -hmm. He's, came to Las Vegas in 1960 for a real estate boom. And what we know about Vegas in the 60s is this big old mob country. Everything up is, big time. Yep, everything, especially real estate, land development, it's all tied to the mob. Mm-hmm. He quickly makes a fortune for himself. Not, not like a huge fortune at first. That doesn't come until like the 80s when there's a true real estate boom. But uh, he does a really good job for himself. And he has a reputation. He's a serious businessman. Like the judge in the trial knew of his reputation, which is uh, interesting. Mm. He was a serious businessman, but had a flashy cowboy style. He wore a black cowboy hat, black cowboy boots, and drove a black Cadillac. Oh, yes. He's driving around being like, I look just like Johnny Cash. That's exactly it. That is exactly (laughs) what's happening. He also really liked the ladies. When Ron and Margaret met, Ron was still separated from his fourth wife. (laughs) His third wife, Peggy, had allegedly killed herself using one of Ron's many guns. He had what he, what was quote called an arsenal. Ooh. Ooh. When they describe it as an arsenal, you've got a lot of guns. It's a lot of guns. You were saying his third wife was Peggy and then his fourth wife was Margaret? Aren't they? His fifth wife was, yeah. His fifth wife, okay. Yeah, so his 
if her first name is Margaret, his third right. and fifth wives were Margaret's. I see. One was Peggy. Okay, I'm sorry. Multiple wives, two of them Margaret's. Yeah. This has Ron Swanson and Tammy all over it. <laughs> Tammy. Exactly Tammy exactly one, it. Tammy two. And then mom Tamara. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. Sort of that. So yeah, his third wife uh, killed herself in their bedroom. Um, he married a fourth time. They quickly divorced. And that's when he meets Margaret. Mm. Margaret now, she was born in Memphis, Tennessee. And her father was a barber who just liked to move. By the time she graduated high school, they lived in 15 states. So Whoa. yeah, Ooh, that's so rough. like he would, was he would on move? the move or on the run? I don't know. They didn't really talk about him, except that he was like a strict religious man. So he would like go. They would move to a town. He'd open a barber shop, and then when he got bored, he would pack everybody up, and they would just go and do it again somewhere else. Like wow. goddamn. Yeah, that's like that's what wild. an unstable childhood you know that, does? that is. It, it creates a stable person. That's what it, it does. Truly. It's really fucked Someone up. Someone with to a do true sense of identity and home. Who's grounded? And who and understands? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, interestingly, Margaret had also been divorced four times when she met Ron. So this is both of their fifth marriages, which I thought was just perfect. Like. Yes. That- I mean, it's got to be wow. hard to tell someone that you're divorced four times. And then it's like, yeah, you got herpes. Like, it's rare that someone you have else two who has Liz herpes. Taylors. Mm-hmm. Yes. They're it's, both Liz It's Taylor. really rare when they're both Liz Taylor. Yeah. That is, agreed. yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's see. After her first divorce, she went to real estate school and supported herself and her two children. She's very proud of the fact that none of her husbands ever asked her for a divorce. She always initiated it. She was oh. a great wife. You don't fire me. I quit. <laughs> I guess. I yeah. quit this marriage. <laughs> yes. Ron and Margaret didn't know each other for more than a few months when they got married in Vegas in 1987, which like I think is a pattern and it's probably why they were both on their fifth marriages. Just a theory. But Perhaps. in an interview, unprompted, Margaret says into the camera, Do you want to know that he was the best lover I ever had? End quote. She is a, at the time of this, a 77-year-old woman. You better work. They met at church. She allegedly said to one of her friends at church, my next husband is going to wear cowboy boots. And (laughs) from across the room, her friend sees this man staring at her. And then she looks over and says, he's wearing cowboy boots. And it was done. It was a done deal. She manifested And I think they were just like manifested within months. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're on, if it's number five, you're not really like too gun shy about like going for it. I know this process. I'll just get divorced if it doesn't work. Yeah. Just plop that (laughs) ring in the fuck it bucket. <laughs> in the wo- yeah. in the whoopsie pile. <laughs> <laughs> so when they got married, Ron's business was located in a strip mall he owned. So Margaret opened her own business in that strip mall, an antique shop, which she ran by herself and she was very proud of. And when they got married, she moved into Ron's house, which was located directly behind the strip mall. Very convenient. Oh, that is convenient. I do mm-hmm. love that. I love a like 
Bob's Burgers y live right above the restaurant situation. Mm-hmm. And I guess she never went to his house before they got married because after they got married and she moved in, she was dismayed to find out that the house hadn't been updated since his third wife's death. Oh, and no. And Ron, they the still slept in the same bed where she died. Oh, gosh. And That's continued a, um... to do so throughout their marriage. No. No. Hmm. Yeah. Sorry to that fourth wife. <laughs> the, the, yeah, no, they the, were like, married. The like, they, like, knew each other. Yeah, they Nameless knew each other. fourth wife. <laughs> very short time. They got married. And I think by the time Ron and Margaret met, he was in the process of getting divorced from the fourth wife. And I think they'd only known each other for, like, a year. So they met, married, and divorced within, like, a year. I mean, it's a speed I, run, you know? Yeah. So this is uncorroborated, but in an interview, Margaret claims that one night, not long after they got married, they were in bed and very quietly, Ron allegedly asked, what would you say if I told you I killed Peggy? Ooh. Ooh. In response, she says, she said, no. No, you're not relieving your guilt on me. I don't want to know. And then she stayed married to him. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Maggie, yeah. Mags, yeah. Mags, come on. Mags. Mag, Mags. What are we doing? <laughs> Look at your life. Okay, so. Look at your choices. Like we said, Ron loves the ladies. And so nearly as soon as they got married, Margaret finds out that Ron's having an affair with an IRS agent. And, uh, look, I mean, that might just be good business. I know that that, might just be because he has a few businesses and he just wants to keep everything on Mm -hmm. the up and up. He's just Mm -hmm. taking care of business. Mm -hmm. And, uh, allegedly a lot of people corroborate the fact that Margaret was having an affair with Yahuda Sharon. He was a friend and he was a former Israeli military officer. Mm-hmm. Both parties yeah, sure. deny that they had an affair. And her her explanation of this is, I was married. And even if I wasn't, he's not my type. He was real cute. I don't know what fucking type she had because she had like an old white guy. And this was like a hot, like probably like 40-year-old, nice, mm. nice, perfect, mm. beautiful yeah. black hair. Just like mm, yeah. very... A very attractive man. So I don't know what the hell her type is. Rich. Her type was rich. Rich. Rich is her type. Yep. Yeah. And like a military officer is whatever. It's a good career, but you're not getting rich off of it. You're not getting rich. I mean, does he own a strip mall with a house behind (laughs) it? I don't fucking think so. Sorry. Talk to me then. I mean, to be fair, he was a millionaire. He didn't just own the, the strip mall. That was just one of his many... Many ventures. I'm going to focus on what I know. And I know that strip mall. Yeah. I love that strip mall. That's my whole life. That strip, that, mall. that strip mall is my cousin. I love that strip mall. <laughs> <laughs> Not long after they got married in 1988, Ron reported that he was missing a 22 caliber gun. From his arsenal. From his arsenal. I don't know how he, I don't know how he noticed it was missing, right? but he noticed it was missing. I mean, better that he noticed than if he didn't notice. You know no, what I mean? Much better. Much better that he noticed. True. 
And again, not long after they got married, there's the affair. Now this gun is missing. Margaret starts to see what she calls another side of Ron. Apparently, he began drinking very heavily and he was having multiple affairs. But she said she was hurt by the affairs, but she was determined to make the marriage work. At a different point in this interview, she says, why? She's like, I've been divorced four times. Why, why would I kill a husband? I have no problem leaving. It's a little contradictory. I mean, fair, but also she's like, well, I wanted to make the marriage work. Then just don't. Right. She left two of her former husbands because they were cheating. Mm. Mm. Uh, so it's interesting. Is Ron the richest one? Yeah, by far. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Okay. There you go. We're on track together. Okay funny you say that there was he has a trust um his estate trust Mm -hmm. and in the late 80s margaret was set up with a 40 percent share if he dies she gets 40 percent and then not long after that he goes to his lawyer and says i need to add something to my will and it's a directive that says if any beneficiary is suspected of causing my death, you, the whole trust will be frozen upon my death. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, Sorry. that's a for no reason. Shrewd it's a, move, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shrewd move. Shrewd for sure. But also, huh? Hmm. Interesting. Not often a clause. I would all read. of a sudden to add, to add it later. You know, it sounds like maybe something happened to make him... And bitch, isn't he the murderer? Men. Right? According to Margaret. But interesting, after that, two years after he put that directive in his will, he increased Margaret's shares to 60%. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, so maybe they were having... Because I know at one point she left him. You know, maybe that had something to do with it. But I don't know. Maybe they were back on good terms. We really don't know. Huh. So here we go. Ron was a very predictable man. He kept a schedule. And even though this was 1994, you were always able to contact him. He had a, he had, they both had cell phones. They both. Oh my gosh, who were they? Mulder and and Scully? Cell phones in 94? (laughs) They had cell phones and he had a car phone. My mom had a car phone. Gotta have a car phone. December 18th, 1994, he doesn't come home from work. Now, that night, Margaret allegedly is working Uh-oh. very late at the strip mall. And this Hello? is corroborated because I think it was 1:30 in the morning. She sees that another business is the lights are on. So she is talking to these strangers. It's like 1:30, mm-hmm. 2:30 in the morning. They're they were both like, and it was all small talk. Like there was no reason for her to be there or to be having this conversation with them. So she says she comes home and she notices Ron's car isn't there. And she said, well, I guess he he would sometimes get mad if she worked late mm-hmm. and he would go out without her. So she was very tired. And so she just came home and went to bed. And this is what she told people randomly at 1.32 in the morning? Or she came home at 1.32 in the morning? Sorry. No. She came home after the random conversation oh, okay. with those okay. business owners that were up working late. And then she comes home because she lives right behind the strip mall. And Ron's car's not there. Ron's not there. But she's sleepy. Huh. So she's going to sleep. 
The next morning, he's still not home, which is very unusual. She starts calling friends, uh, seeing if they've heard of him. He also has, he's got like a trailer near a lake, I think. He had, he was in the process of finalizing this big land development deal. And it was far away. So he had a trailer out there while they were doing that. So she called somebody, because I don't know if, he wasn't answering the phone or it didn't have a phone or whatever, but she calls a friend who lives out there and is like, Hey, can you go see if Ron's at the trailer? And he wasn't. So she starts to panic. So she goes to the police. She's like, I think my husband is missing. Haven't seen him. And they're like, sorry, got to wait 48 hours. Mm -hmm. Classic. Yeah. So that was December 18th. On December 19th, the day after Ron goes missing, Yehuda Sharon, Rudin's mm-hmm. close friend but not lover, rented a large passenger van from a rental car agency in Las Vegas. According to Sharon, he rented the van to pick up a shipment of holy oils from a business in Santa Fe Springs, California. Sharon had directed the rental car agency to remove the back seat from the van. Got to fit all those holy oils in there. You all know? Them. Yeah. He returned the van on December 23rd with 348 miles logged. Now, Sharon told investigators that he drove to California on December 22nd, but he never reached his destination because he heard over the radio. Breaker, breaker. <laughs> <laughs> heard over the radio that it was raining in California. And so he decided that he, he couldn't go. No, you can't. You can't go if it's, we can't pick up holy oils in the rain. Holy oils in a vehicle. It's clearly. It's not possible. Yeah. So December 23rd, also Ron's car was discovered parked in an alley behind the Crazy Horse 2 saloon. The car was locked and the police retrieved two sets of keys to the car from inside the car. Hmm. The police also noted that dirt and mud had been tracked onto all four floorboards of the car. Upon further investigation, four separate footprints from four different shoes were found and several fingerprints were lifted from the vehicle, none of which belonged to Ron or Margaret. Now, remember, he was meticulous about his car. He Mm -hmm. paid someone to clean his car, I think, daily. Oh, my God, that's overkill. Wow. He was obsessed, if not daily, weekly, something like something ridiculous. Weekly still um, a lot. No, it's <laughs> insane. Weekly's insane. My car is an abomination. Never had mine details. Okay, January 27th, <laughs> 1995. We're just mm-hmm. over, just about a month later. Police are granted a search warrant and they are searching her house while she is out. Investigators find human blood in the master bedroom. I mean, that could have been Peggy's. Frankly, that could have been Peggy's. Could have been Peg's. They didn't clean it up. Apparently, she kept a glamour shot of herself above the bed because blood was found on that as well. And there were allegedly stains recovered from a mattress and box spring. While police were searching her house, she was on her way home and saw police in front of her house and just kept going. Yes, you keep driving. You just keep going. Yes, Maggie. Obviously, the police did notice that she just kept driving. They followed her. 
They followed okay. her. Well, as yeah, I think, think that that's. I mean, yeah. honestly, it's, it's going to be expected. Yeah. Um, she stopped at a nearby convenience store where she made several long phone calls. Mm-hmm. Later, she went to her sister's house, who told her that the police were looking for a trunk, a gun, and a glamour shot portrait. Which, like, how would she know that? Right. And the sister's oh, suspect. Margaret then drove to Sharon's residence, where she remained for two hours. And then police observed Margaret and Sharon leaving his house together. And they followed them to the state line crossing into California. And so police officers contacted the LAPD, who surveilled them until she got on a plane the next morning to St. Louis. Cool. And now our girl's on the run on the lamb cool. yeah right. that's look not going to the house while they're executing a search warrant it's reasonable. reasonable i wouldn't want to be there skipping out to st louis not a well, not an excellent corner. look so it's not an excellent to look. be fair if you're gonna do that you're un- never coming back you go somewhere where you never come back from she had no plans of coming back oh. <laughs> okay uh, well then all right max She's literally on the run. You know, to be fair, she was not under indictment. She had not been told that she could not leave the state. Right. She was perfectly within her rights to get on a plane to wherever the fuck she wanted. True. But you're right. It's absolutely a bad look. Right. It's like, can you? Yes. Of course you can. Mm -hmm. Should you? Yeah. So December 1995, a year after he went missing... The badly charred remains of Ron Rudin were found by fishermen near Nelson's Landing at Lake Mojave in Nevada, 40 miles outside of Las Vegas. Okay. Wow. Okay. When they found it, they found his skull and 21 grams of other bones, an antique trunk. Okay. And a gold bracelet that had Ron written out in diamonds that his second wife had given him that he never took off. Oh, got okay. it. Got it. Got it. And was, Somehow was, were the remains in this trunk? No, no, they were the nearby. trunk was just Mm-mm. there. It was all there. I think the 21 uh, grams of other bones, I think that was in the trunk, but the yes. skull was just out, but the skull had all its, all its teeth still. So they were able to use dental records and confirm oh that it was God. wrong. What was the point of burning the body? I know. If you're going to leave the bracelet and the teeth. They're in the desert. Like the body would have decomposed like so fast. (laughs) Anyway, that's not my business. But defense attorneys said that the conditions of Rudin's remain was not consistent with a burning. They testified that the perpetrator would need more than 50 gallons of gasoline to fuel a fire capable of burning his body to the degree that it was. Whoa. That's a lot. Yeah. And it's and an interesting fact that they discovered is that the, the steamer trunk, as it is known, uh-huh. is similar to one previously seen in Margaret's antique shop. Yeah. When you said antique trunk, I was like, Margaret, were you that? Come on now. Don't do that, Margaret. I mean, we, yeah. I, we don't know if she did it. We don't. Well, and she, we're going to find out. She it's, legally it seems like she legally did not do it. And so that's the most she important thing. Legally did not do it. She did she not was, do it. She, she was not found not guilty. We'll find out together. We'll find out together. <laughs> now, 
She's on the run still. July 21st, 1996, a scuba diver discovers a 22 caliber Ruger handgun mm-hmm. while diving near Pyramid Island at Lake Mead. The gun was wrapped in several plastic bags that were secured with rubber bands and it was well preserved. Oh, God damn it. The handgun had a suppressor attached to it. Police subsequently learned that the gun had been registered to Ron Rudin in 1980. This is the miss. Is this the missing 22? Allegedly. Mm. I mean, it is. Yeah. Mm. According to records obtained from the ATF, Ron sent a letter to the (laughs) ATF stating he suspected his wife had packed his gun with her belongings in anticipation of her move pending a divorce. Remember I said they kind of had a rocky spot right after they got married. Yes. And that's all that happened. Again, they stayed married She never admitted to having the gun. And then that summer, following six weeks of testimony, Margaret Rudin was indicted for first-degree murder of her husband. And it's confusing when the indictment happened. I assumed it happened in July at the end of the grand jury. Mm -hmm. But another source said it didn't happen until April 17th of 97. So Mm. she hopscotched across North America between stints in Mexico, Arizona, and Massachusetts. And by this point, before she actually left Nevada, she was dubbed the Black Widow of Las Vegas, which to me is really weird because she's never been accused of killing any other husband or boyfriend or anything. And I thought Black Widow required a pattern. Yeah, that that seems like it's like this is the thing that you do is I kill my husbands. And this one fell down the stairs. Like I've had four husbands and three, three died suspiciously, right? Right. But just the one... Uh, it's a stretch mm. it's a stretch it's media. a murder i mean it's a murder <laughs> <laughs> but by this point margaret had established a cute little life for herself in guadalajara mexico she was able to rent a small apartment in a building that was occupied by mostly american expats and she quickly became accustomed to the scene something you need to know about margaret is she's very pretty and she can charm anyone Especially men. <laughs> You'll see. That's course, right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah, especially men. Allegedly, while she was living there, she met and befriended a Mexican bank robber who taught her how to survive on the run. Yes. Quote, this is the kind of friend you need. No, this is this is the friend you need. <laughs> the number one thing is to be careful where you live. The other is always have a bag packed. Have money, ID, clothes. Make sure you have whatever it is you need the most in that bag. Yes. Now, Margaret Rudin, who had always been known for her sense of style, now became a master of disguise. (laughs) Quote, I like to wear wigs. I like short. I like long. I like curly. I like straight. I don't want to look the same way all the time. I like change. I'm a Gemini. (laughs) End quote. Now, here's the thing. She does. Jennifer Garner up in here. Alias Mm -hmm. up in here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've got a fluorescent pink bob. I've got all kinds of wigs. I'm a Gemini. We don't really see much more. She usually has like a bob or shoulder length hair, blonde a solid brunette and a red. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
here's the thing. She wasn't a master of disguise. She looked like herself with either red hair, blonde hair, or brunette hair. So it's like a Moira Rose situation. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. People knew where she was. She had said on multiple occasions she had multiple friends visit her while she was living in Guadalajara. Oh, my God. She did not listen to her bank robber friends at all. (laughs) They would try to convince her to come back, and she always said no until 1998. She felt like she had to go back because, quote, my mother was in the hospital very sick. Once you have children and grandchildren, you can't go somewhere else and live and act like you're having a normal life. I don't think she like she was supposed to be pretending she was happy. It doesn't matter. So with the help of expat and friend and retired Boston firefighter, mm. Joe Lundergan, who was absolutely not her lover, again, no, she gets very no. offended. Joe, no, he's just a friend who'll do anything for me. Quote, he was very, very, very needy. He was never my boyfriend. I have never been that desperate in my life. <laughs> wow. She's such well, a well, bitch. Well. This was on TV. It. This was on like a news channel. Like this is just like mean. Like there was no reason for that. <laughs> oh, she's such an asshole. Even though he was so needy, she was still okay taking his help. And together they made a plan. They were going to go to the border together. He was going to go back to Massachusetts. And she was going to Phoenix where her mother and other family were. When they got to the border, they assumed the worst. They didn't know what was going to happen, but Joe seemed very confident. When Border Patrol asked for their IDs, Joe handed over a card identifying him as a retired Boston firefighter. And according to Margaret, because they were a part of the same fraternity, the man let them go without looking for any official ID from either of them. God. What? Mm -hmm. So she, and I don't know if that's true, but how did she get across the border otherwise? It's a pre 9-11 world. So I guess that's much more believable in 98 than now. (laughs) Yeah, but she's been all over America's top wanted for years. That is so bizarre. So in Phoenix, using the identity of a friend, Susan Simmons, Margaret rents a room from the YMCA. She also used to work in a hotel, so she got a job at a local hotel in hospitality. At this time, again, she was on America's Most Wanted as the Black Widow. Oh, my God. So someone she worked with at the hotel recognized her and called the tip line. Oh, yes. But Margaret's smarter than them all. Because just literally the day before, she had gotten a legitimate driver's license using her fake identity. Thanks, Susan. You're such a good friend. I'm just borrowing your identity. (laughs) Yeah, and I don't know if she did that with her permission or not. I'm guessing not. Of course she didn't. No, no, she was living with a friend at some point. Susan wouldn't mind. (laughs) Susan wouldn't mind. No, Susan's just like, Susan gets it. When yeah. a friend is in trouble, you just help out that friend with, you know, your social security number. <laughs> and your and birth your certificate. <laughs> and your driver's license. So when she was approached by police at her apartment, she said she had no idea who Margaret Rudin was. And they asked for her ID. So she gave it to them. And when they ran it, it came back legit. She was Susan Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> as soon as they left, she grabbed her go bag, called the hotel's <laughs> limo service, and she was in. Yeah, I know. I know. Fucking out in the yeah. hotel's limo service. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Gets a limo, and then she's in the wind again. I don't know where she goes, like directly from the hotel. But very soon after this, she hears from a friend that Joe Lundergan, Mr. Needy, was getting two knee and two hip replacement surgeries, oh, which no, is like oh the craziest thing I've ever heard. Well, he used to be a firefighter, so I'm sure it's both knees and joints. both hips. Both. Like that's so at the same time. Oh my God. I don't know if he got all four at the same time, but he was getting them. And so yeah. he asked this friend if he could get in contact with Margaret and see if oh. Margaret would take care of him. And because oh, no, she's not gonna. Because Margaret needed a, to start a new life, she agreed. Yeah. Oh. And she went to Revere, Massachusetts to live near Joe. No, to live with Joe, excuse me. I was going to say near, no. not with is so, so harsh. No, 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 no. She, she moved it. Okay. Sorry. And now uh, from the internet, Revere is the former home of the Boston mob when the Boston mob was a big, big deal. And even in the late nineties, people weren't, you just didn't ask questions. Ah, you never know who's a DiCaprio or a... <laughs> Nicholson, (laughs) who else was in that movie? Mark Wahlberg. The other Irish ones who aren't Irish, except that one. But yeah, also Revere, a home of the the oldest U.S. beach. So they got that too. Now, How can beaches be older than other beaches? That's my only, I I just. That's a good question, Kelly. We say that this, we we found this land and created America. That's not true either. (laughs) (laughs) solid point (laughs) things are because we say they are and for no other reason (laughs) (laughs) so now she is lee brown everyone really liked lee and lee really liked revere she even got herself a younger boyfriend who lived in her apartment building one floor down while she was living with and oh, taking she's living care of Joe. Joe. She wanted it to be fucking two clear. Fucked up she's knees and two yeah. fucked up hips. Oh my God. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. She's the devil. That's so funny. She's something. She's, she's just like, this is my life and I'm living it for me. <laughs> Look, this is Lee's time. Yeah, this is Lee's time. It was, it was not going to last, unfortunately. Margaret frequently went to the local post office. And I don't know if you guys know this. I know this just because my mom worked at the post office for so long. When you go to the post office, those um, FBI most wanted oh, pictures yeah. are oh, all, yeah, up, all there. up in that post office. Oh. So one of the clerks uh, recognized her from her photo and contacted law enforcement. So they come. Wait, does nobody mind their own fucking business anymore? Not come anymore. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> See something, say nothing. Yes. So law enforcement comes to the police station and shows a picture of Margaret. And they're like, oh, hell yeah. Actually, she just lives right across the street. And they pointed <laughs> to her house <laughs> very quickly after. Police officer dons on a delivery uniform for Domino's 
and knocks on the door and like 12 police officers swarm this teeny tiny apartment. That's hot and fresh. Yeah. And she was, she was in the bathroom and then she says, there was one, there was one guy. He was a, he was a state trooper. Um, and he was so nice. Oh my gosh. He was so nice. And it was because he was young and cute. Girls got a type. (laughs) And apparently he asked her, are you Margaret Rudin? And she just laughs and says, of course I am. You know, I am. (laughs) What what the fuck? Like perfect response though. Like, what are you going to, this you're, you're caught. You're Casey Anthony at the end of the hallway at Universal Studios. You're caught. Yeah, but yeah, (laughs) yes, that's exactly it. After 31 months on the lam, she was finally in custody. Solid streak. We're going to go to the trial, which is fucking bananas. I've never seen this level of tomfoolery of just bananas. I can't wait. Yeah. So before the trial begins, the judge is concerned that her attorney, Michael Amador, is not fully prepared for trial. He actually rips him a new one on the record multiple times before trial to the point where the court three weeks before trial appoints a second attorney, Thomas Pitaro and two investigators to the defense team because the judge is like, this is, I've never heard of that. Oh my God. But so again, the prosecution's theory is Margaret shot Ron while he was sleeping in bed and that she, and at least one other person it is important to note that nobody bothered to look for this other person, but yeah. she and one other person shoved Ron's body into an antique trunk, dragged it out to the middle of the desert, and burned it. And obviously her motive was the 60% share of Ron's trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she would have also she would have known that if she yeah. was suspected that she wouldn't get it. Yeah. So I, I mean, like it's that not motive. a great motive. It's not a great the motive is motive. not great. It's not no. great, and it's really not great that they're like some other person we don't know who, who we didn't, but bother. definitely Margaret. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not. So, mm-mm. Mm-mm. It's, it's not super strong either. Kevin, what do you know about the purpose of an opening statement? Let Kevin have this one. <laughs> I believe an opening statement is a way to set your trajectory as yes. your as the uh, the um attorney yeah. to say this is what i i this is what we know this is what i'm going to show you and yes. this is why that, i think kevin. you should vote did you oh my god school? kevin that was a kevin, know, kevin passes answer. the bar exam when yeah, i have passes. friends that are attorneys then i guess i can get some things by uh, osmosis but that was like very succinct and like just like literally dead on. So good. Very so all good. three of us know the purpose of an opening statement. Michael Amador did fucking not. <laughs> oh no. I am going to read you some excerpts from his opening statement that I got out of a Supreme Court of Nevada opinion from 2004. Okay. Quote, this is a great day in a lot of different ways. Some days are difficult. Some days we hear bad news or we go through a difficult time, but every day, every day, depending on how you look at it, with a few exceptions, can be a celebration. This is a great day for me. This is a combination of a career. The people in this case, we are not strangers. We know each other. 
Chris, the prosecutor, Chris and I were sworn in as deputy DAs on the same day. And I congratulate Chris on his presentation that was organized and well thought out. The best oh my money God. can buy. It was really good. If you want to know an opinion about me, I guarantee you'll find some different ones from different people. Not many people know me. I have Shut the few, fuck up, guy. Oh I have God. a few close friends, like Ronald Rudin had a few cr- close friends. I could be a wonderful, caring father, soccer coach, helping kids with homework, which I did the first time I got married when they were young. Then another the day fuck? I might Who scream cares? at somebody, yell at them for, I don't know, asking me a question because I was too busy. I have difficulty communicating to people. I have to what? look at no, it. No, don't say that. I have to look at it and talk to other people and they will bring me back down to earth and say, Mike, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to get across? I reviewed again this morning, my opening statement and threw it out. I don't know. Maybe maybe it was just something I do. And that's the end of the quote. It went on for three and a half hours. Oh God. No. Yeah. Three and a half hours. Okay. No, a defense opening statement. You want it to be fairly short. Use as little words as possible. You want it to be fairly short because the purpose of, as Kevin described, the purpose of a Mm -hmm. prosecutor's opening statement is essentially going to be, this is what the evidence is going to show. First, I'm going to show you this. Then I'm going to show you this. Then I'm going to show you this. And after you hear all of this evidence, then you'll uh, be convinced that you should find beyond a reasonable doubt that so-and-so is guilty. A defense opening statement is going to say, well, the state is going to try and show you this and this and this. Mm -hmm. But what they won't be able to prove is yada, yada, yada. Uh, And this Mm -hmm. case is about yada, yada, yada. You have your theory of the case. Yes. Of what, and your, your theory, theory of the case theory. as defense is that this is in some flavor that the state cannot prove its case beyond the reasonable doubt. Whatever the fuck Mike was talking about <laughs> is absolute hot garbage. So I wanted to shit myself and I am just hearing it like 25 years later. I read this from an opinion from the Supreme Court of Nevada. Yeah, so... Mm. That tells me that it is either something on post-conviction where he was found to be ineffective or perhaps an attorney grievance commission complaint where he is suspended or potentially disbarred. You are closer on the first one, but not correct. We will, let's, okay. okay. We will see. Three and a half hours, the judge interrupted him many times, reminding him of the purpose of an opening statement. Oh my God. And he kept going. It was described as a meandering mashup of an opening statement, a three and a half hour run on riddle with self aggrandizement and digressions that ended with him almost asleep with his chin resting on his chest. And then I was just like, so he was on a lot of drugs and crashed because that's what that sounds like to me. That's what that sounds like. Yeah. That is wild. And that's very like Norm Pattis at it, at Alex Jones's Connecticut trial. His opening and closings were bizarre and I think so. during voir dire, he fell asleep. <laughs> Good. <laughs> At council no. table and not when he was trying, supposed to be talking. But still, this is all very Pattis-esque bullshit. So, so trial starts March 2nd. March 5th, Michael Amador moves for a mistrial because he did not adequately prepare for trial and Margaret deserved a fair trial. Oh, my God. During an in-chambers meeting between the judge and Margaret, 
with no attorneys present in a closed meeting. What? What? No. 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 Rudin stated she believed Amador was not prepared for the case, had not adequately investigated witnesses, and had problems in his personal life that were impairing his effectiveness. Fair. Mm-hmm. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, the moving for a mistrial is probably the best no, he, thing he could have done. Yeah. And to he try stood and up in court and, and did this. Yeah. yeah. Way to go. Yeah. So, nonetheless, Rudin didn't say that she wanted him to be fired. She just wanted oh, the other really attorney, Pataro. She wanted him to be, like, first chair. And that, that Amador could just play along. Immediately following this discussion, the judge called the attorneys in for a meeting without Margaret. And Amador told the judge that he was having difficulty preparing because two of his employees, his wife and his mother-in-law, had terminated their employment one month before trial. And he didn't mention this until three days after trial started. Oh, God. And it's his wife and his mother-in-law. So he's getting a so divorce. I guess he's getting divorced. Yeah, he's got to be yeah. getting divorced. I don't know. <laughs> he's but... absolutely getting a divorce. Yeah. Oh, my God. So March 8th, oh. a hearing was held where the defense testified that they were prepared and did not need more time. No, no, mm, no, no, no. Mm. Why shut the door that you opened? You're shutting well, the door that you opened in your own face. That sucks. They do need more time. Well, I mean, maybe they thought so too, because on March 15th, Margaret's attorneys moved for a a mistrial for a second time for the same reasons that Amador is unprepared, but now included inadequate cross-examination of witnesses and that Pitaro was fine, but he joined the trial too late to make up for Amador's lack of preparation. They should have just done that from the beginning. This is so stupid, miss. Mm. In denying Rudin's motion for a mistrial, the district court accepted Amador's argument that he used his best effort. That, And he was not ineffective. So trial went on. Mm. And uh, here's the deal. (laughs) Pitaro, questionable. Questionable fucking decisions made here. He had a true-to-life size replica of the Rudin's bedroom created, built, and installed in the fucking courtroom. Why? What? You don't need that at the defense, as the defense. Why do you need that? They, they To demonstrate how impossible the prosecution's theory is. <sighs> and literally, this is a fucking... I've never seen anything like this. That. He is That's literally like running, necessarily running around the courtroom. He is rolling around on a bed. He is like squatting down. He's got experts up there, like trying to like prove their point. And he is acting like a crazy person. And the judge oh. is literally screaming at him to stop. And he keeps oh going. God. And the judge has to say again, I already made a ruling and you have to stop. Oh my God. Let's go to evidence, right? What did they have? Mm-hmm. The blood. It turns out all of the blood recovered was not enough to fill an eyedropper. Oh. And all they knew about it was that it was human blood. They didn't know anything oh. else. It also comes out that Ron's wife, yeah, Peggy, suffered uh-huh. from depression and shot herself yep. in the bedroom. Yep. Yep. So, right, exactly. So if they, didn't, they don't have enough to test, somebody else had previously died in that room. 
in a bloody way. There is yeah. no way to tell whose blood no. it is in the first place. None. So Yehuda comes in, possible lover, is approached yep. by the state before trial, and they tell him they will give him immunity if he testifies for the prosecution. Pretty standard. Mm-hmm. He says mm-hmm. yes, but the police never talked to him about what he knew and what he was doing. And so during his testimony, he says, um, I know I received immunity, but from what I have no idea. They gave him immunity and they had no fucking idea what he knew. And so he gets up there for the prosecution. He's supposed to be like one, like the big witness. Their star witness. They have no idea. No. What he knows and he's or just doesn't like, know. And every question he's just like, no, I, no, 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 I didn't do that. Wow. And that was it. Everybody wow. in this wow. case is a joker. Everybody trying this case is a goddamn joker. Yeah. Next up, though, for the prosecution is Margaret's sister, Donna, who's like a biatch. Like, I don't care. Donna. Your sister's in trouble. You don't do this. I'm just kidding. Like, follow the law. They have a long history of not liking each other. Donna testifies that she helped Margaret remove financial files from Ron's office the day after Ron disappeared. And when she was talking about speaking to the police about Ron... She allegedly did so in the past tense. And so Donna said to her, Mm. quote, I hope that doesn't mean you know something. And in response, Margaret allegedly said, quote, I don't give a fuck, fuck." end quote. Hmm. Doesn't mean anything. It literally doesn't mean anything. It's, no, it's, it's not. It's not like it it shows that like uh, her sister is kind of suspicious. It's no smoking gun. No. An antique dealer, Bruce Honnebach, witness for the prosecution, testified mm-hmm. that he sold Margaret Rudin an antique humpback trunk just months before Rudin's disappearance. A trunk, he says, purchased from a man named Donald Shaw Peter. Honnebach also claimed that the trunk he sold Margaret Rudin matched the one that was found with Ron Rudin's remains. Furthermore, Honnebach testified that Margaret repeatedly told him that she wished her husband was dead. But defense Most attorney among us. Yeah, I've not attorney, actually ever said that, but I've that's never the said thing that. that people say. The strangers, yeah. I mean, yeah, and maybe not just strangers. <laughs> defense attorney Tom Pitaro questioned his motivation for coming forward with this information a full six years after the murder. And he pointed out that he was unable to provide any documentation proving he sold the trunk to Margaret Rudin. Okay. Next, yeah. Solid. Next there Good is... Good cross, Pizarro. Mm-hmm, Augustine Lovato, a day laborer who testified that he was hired by Margaret in the days and weeks immediately following Ron's disappearance and testified to the following. He was hired to convert the master bedroom into an office. Margaret directed him to cut out a 9 by 12 area of carpet under the bed with reddish-brown stains that had a strong odor. He said it smelled like his dogs after they chewed on rabbits. Also could have been Peggy's blood. Yeah. Lovato noticed the same stains on a glamour shot Marge had hanging over the bed, and it it was also reddish-brown. And, like, I was just saying, like, I kind of want to get, like, glamour shots and then just hang them all over my bedroom. (laughs) Absolutely. That's like the the number one lesson from this story is like, get get some glamour shots, y'all. Get some soft focus glamour shots. 
And then allegedly in the bathroom, he turns on the tub and a reddish brown blob came bubbling out of the drain. Gross. And then Mm. Margaret told him to load the mattress and box spring and other items into a truck and abandon them all in an alley, which he allegedly did. Okay. So what alley? And several witnesses. (laughs) No, I mean, we'll find out what happened with that. But I mean, this is just the trial, what they had. So his attorney, so Ron's attorney testified that he was worried about Ron being killed for his money. And that's why he had the directive. She said that Ron had mentioned that she was violent and vicious. Margaret denied that Ron feared her, pointing out that not long before his disappearance, he increased the percentage of her percentage to 60%. So, yeah. On April 23rd, after the defense rested its case, Donald Shawpeter contacted the defense. Shawpeter allegedly co-signed the steam trunk to Hanabach, which Hanabach allegedly sold to Rudin. Contrary to his testimony, Shawpeter claimed that he co-signed a small case to Hanabach, but not a steamer trunk, Mm. nothing that would fit the remains of a person. Since Shawpeter claimed that he previously supplied the state's investigator with this information, Rudin filed a motion to dismiss on the theory that the yeah. state withheld exculpatory evidence. Brady. According to the state's investigator, Shaw Peter did not deny that he co-signed a trunk, rather called it a very little collection of individual items that he had co-signed to her. The district court concluded that the state acted improperly, but it is not for the defense to decide what is or is not exculpatory. Oh, my God. But it's for the court to decide, which was the Okay, and so court decide. Nope. (laughs) Nonetheless, the district court concluded that the error was not of sufficient magnitude to justify. Are you kidding me? Small trunk versus trunk big enough to fit a human. This trunk was the same trunk. Versus this trunk is not the same trunk? That's absolutely exculpatory. Oh, god damn it. Everybody's jokers. Following closing arguments on April 25th, the judge asked Juror 11 to stay behind. He'd received a report that Juror 11 was having an argument with a staff person at the Golden Nugget while having a cigarette. Couldn't find (laughs) any details at all, but either she wasn't supposed to be on a smoke break or the argument was concerning the case. She remained on the jury. On April 30th, the defense met with the judge in chambers to discuss the incident, a new incident over the weekend from Juror 11. She allegedly called alternate Juror 3 and had told her that she was upset because she was the only person in favor of a not guilty verdict and because she had gotten into an altercation with the staff person at the Golden Nugget. Oh, my God. The defense moved for a mistrial. It was denied. God damn it. On May 1st, both parties had another meeting in chambers to discuss Juror 11. The prosecution advised they received information that Juror 11 had been untruthful during voir dire about whether she had any close friends in law enforcement and if she had ever been a victim of a crime. The state moved that she be discharged from the jury. After a private meeting between the judge and Juror 11, the court decided without explanation not to discharge Juror 11. Oh my God. At the very least, discharge Juror 11. But the fucking damage has been done. She's been talking. That jury has been talking about what their. Uh, Literally the one thing. What their feelings do. about guilt or innocence were before the trial is even over. And they're not allowed to do that. And they, you know that they've done. Oh my God. 
The following day, the jury returned a unanimous verdict of guilty of murder in the first degree. Great. Following trial, obviously, Margaret appeals, alleging ineffective assistance of counsel, prosecutorial misconduct, judicial misconduct, and abusive discretion for denying the mistrial. Gotta say, I'm on board for all of them. Yeah. (laughs) Solid issues. They're all legit. Uh, Her appeal was obviously denied on April 1st, 2004. The the Supreme Court of Nevada stating all of Margaret's issues were without merit and she had not been denied a free trial. In 2008, she catches a break and a district judge grants her a new trial due to ineffective assistance of counsel. Okay. Oh, so that that must have been, that might have been through not the direct appeal process, but potentially a collateral post-conviction process. Yeah. Because I know in a lot, in a few states, you can't even bring up ineffective assistance of counsel until you're in post-conviction. Yeah, it's not a great uh, issue to bring up on direct appeal because on direct appeal, the court's limited to the record that was before the trial court. And Mm -hmm. questions like why a lawyer made or didn't make a certain decision or... Yeah, well, you have to know things, you have to examine evidence and testimony outside of the record in order to get answers to those questions. Right. Unfortunately for Margaret, the state appealed and the Nevada Supreme Court reversed the ruling again, claiming she had a fair trial. Oh, fucking God damn it. On April 6, 2011, Margaret filed a petition for habeas corpus, which was dismissed on January 25th, 2012. God, she's doing everything. She's doing everything she's supposed to. On uh, September 14th, 2014, circuit, the Ninth Circuit upholds the dismissal while acknowledging that it was troubled by the case. Okay. Interestingly, huh. on just so like seven months later, five months later, February 10th, the Ninth Circuit withdrew its opinion and issued a revised opinion affirming the trial court's decision that Margaret was entitled to a new trial. Oh, okay. Well, good. Well, good. Yep. Maybe too little the, too late, but good. Maybe there was like a motion for reconsideration filed or something maybe, like that. Maybe. I'm not sure. February 29th, leap day, 2016, the U.S. Supreme Court denied a petition from the Nevada Attorney General challenging the Ninth Circuit decision, and Margaret was released pending a new trial, and she was out of prison for the first time in 23 years. Goddamn. God fucking Turns damn. out. The reason Amador was representing her pro bono and completely unprepared was because he negotiated the media rights to her story as payment. Oh my God. Just this year in May, a federal judge Bulware vacated Margaret Rudin's murder conviction. And in June, 2022, the Nevada AG confirmed they will not be appealing the order and they will not be seeking a new trial. Yeah, because they can't prove it again. They cannot, they couldn't prove it the first time. They certainly can't prove it again in the year of our Lord 2022. Mm. For better or for worse, Margaret Rudin, now 79 years old, is free. And that's the story of Margaret Rudin. That story is infuriating. That trial is infuriating. And like, did she do it? Maybe, probably. Probably. But like, fuck it. She doesn't get to go to, no, state doesn't get to put her in jail. Not, no. not acting like that. They don't get to put her in jail for that. No. Nope. And it, listen, here's the thing with the law. 
It doesn't matter what you've done or what you have not done. It is what can be proven. And right. nothing here can be proven. They can't prove it. And they didn't play by the fucking rules either. Never. And so not like, the whole time. oh, if, if people are supposed to play by the rules, the state should play by the motherfucking rules. Rule follower who hates the so rules. I, that's me. <laughs> that is the fucking insane story that I've been that obsessed is so with. Insane. Since I heard about this in May when she was oh um, exonerated. Mm-hmm. But listen, and, and whether or not she did it, I believe she deserved to be exonerated. Yeah. Good 100%. story, Miss. Thank you. I loved the drama. it. The drama mama. <laughs> Edie, hit us. You're not ready. I'm not. I'm not ready. Today's spoopy story came to my attention through my partner. Mm. Who's not usually a real spoopy guy. Mm-mm. He was in line at a concert last week, and he overheard the couple in front of him talking about, like, musicians they liked. And Mm -hmm. after a few minutes, the conversation kind of became more animated. Mm -hmm. And then finally, one of them said something like, no, really, she's not the real Avril. Avril. (laughs) (laughs) As in Levine? Oh my god. I think I've heard this before. Too. I think I have too. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Today I'm talking about the Avril Levine replacement theory. Oh what? my goodness. So I can't so and I don't and I won't and I can't. <laughs> I'm so excited. In 2011, a post appeared on a Brazilian fan site. It's now hosted on avrilestamorta.blogspot.com. Oh, Which is, is Avril dead? Avril, Avril is, is dead. dead. Oh, Avril is dead. Right. Good. Translated from Portuguese, the post is titled, Original Theory, Avril Levine Died and Was Replaced? <laughs> but why? Why would she be replaced? That's right. We only knew the real Avril for a brief time in 2003 before she was replaced by some chick named Melissa. What? It's when it was it like when she stopped wearing ties? Is that what they're saying? (gasps) Is that what it is? Is Avril just tie? We're there are so many clues. There are so many clues, Kevin. There are so many clues. In 1998. The real Avril Ramona Levine won a singing contest and started pursuing a new life as a musician. Mm-hmm. In 2001, at 17 years old, the real Avril Ramona Levine signed a million-dollar <laughs> contract with music what? mogul L.A. Reid. Edie Fake Name knows who L.A. Reid is from the Making the Video for Pink's 2002 song, Don't Let Me Get Me. Thank you. I knew oh, you would like that, song. Kevin. Thank you. Such a good song. Avril's debut album, Let Go, dropped in Mm -hmm. 2003. It was the second best-selling record in the world that year. Her single, Complicated, was a smash hit. Tweens and teens around the world started wearing white tank tops with neckties and (laughs) chunky plastic bracelets all the way up their fucking forearms. I did it. So we were in high school. Oh, yeah. We were in high school when this song and album came out. So were were you into Avril? Yes. No, I wasn't like into. I wasn't I into her. her. I didn't hate I w- her. I just didn't. Ca- I just didn't have an opinion either way. 
I didn't like, I wasn't a stand, but I definitely liked Skater Boy and her oh, other songs true. coming out afterwards, a couple of them. And then I stopped. Yeah. So I do remember liking- on Avril for a time. Correct. Once she did Girlfriend, that song, I was like, okay, no. Hey, hey, you, you, I don't like your girlfriend? Yes, but then when she did it in seven other languages, she said, ha, ha, do, 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 I can't remember the German, but yeah, it's really weird. That's right. She did it in all kinds of languages. She did it in like seven fucking languages and they all sounded terrible. The Japanese one is the worst. Melissa did it in Melissa did Melissa and Dr. Luke are in cahoots. So, Miss, you were not an Avril, no. avid Avril listener. No, I wasn't. Nor was I. I was too against anything that was popular. And at yep. this time, I was getting very heavy into Devo and They Might Be Giants because I Devo. was allergic to friends. I love Devo. Devo's great. We have Devo a is Devo great. record. Are We Not Men, We Are okay. Devo is an amazing album. Mm-hmm. And it's very good. It's not just Whip It. People, nope. it's not just whip it. They do a whole song in like seven, eight, and then it changes like time signature again too, right? It's Maybe, crazy. probably. I just, I don't know. And I, I just know what's a bop and what's not a bop. And Devo is just bop city. Bop city. So in 2003, Avril got super famous super fast. So to deal with that sudden fame, Avril did what some other famos do and hired a lookalike to confuse the paparazzi who otherwise would follow her every move. So, oh, are you following the real Avril or the lookalike Avril? <laughs> she apparently hired a double named Melissa Vandella. And the two became friends very quickly. But fame took its toll on Avril. According to the replacement theory, Avril was under huge pressure to succeed on a follow-up album to let go. And soon after writing sessions started on album two, her grandfather died, who she was very, very close to. Mm. Apparently, Avril entered a deep and serious depression. Hmm. She would cry during takes recording new songs. According to the theory... Original Avril died at her home as a result of that depression sometime in 2003. Wow. The the real Avril killed herself. Okay. But according to the replacement theory, the show must go on. Yes, sure. So her family, the record label, and anybody else who knew the truth kept quiet. And Melissa stepped in as a permanent replacement for the now dead Avril Ramona Levine. <laughs> Show me the receipts. Oh, miss. Show oh, me the miss. Receipts. Oh, miss. You will be so convinced. Okay. Convince me. I'm ready. In 2004, New Avril's Under My Skin <laughs> was released. Now, the album's beginnings were the work of original Avril, and new Avril stepped in to finish them after original Avril died. So new Uh, Avril, or Melissa, looked so nearly identical to original Avril and copied her style so perfectly that nobody noticed. Yes. But also, the album is called Under My Skin? Oh, Kevin, Yes. Because there were clues. There were clues. Oh, yes, there were clues. Bread the comes. title, Under My Skin, a reference to Melissa wearing the skin of Avril Lavigne. <laughs> the font color on the cover, Avril Lavigne's name in all black, a clear suggestion of mourning. 
hints and song lyrics. Off. Like, what do you mean? Everything was black or white. <gasps> oh, I'm looking at the, the, the record now, and you're absolutely right. Oh, my goodness. What's it called? Under My Skin. All right. Well, I don't know, man. Giant X right on Avril. Old Avril? Mm-hmm. Or is that Melissa? We're not sure. Oh. Hints okay. and song lyrics, like this one from the song Together. Reality overcomes me. I'm living a lie. Or this one from the song, How Does It Feel? How does it feel to be different from me? Are we the same? Or these words from Nobody's Home. Well, I couldn't tell you why she felt that way. She felt it every day. And I couldn't help her. I just watched her make the same mistakes again. In the words of Avril Estamorta, intriguing those lyrics like that all of a sudden, no? So, wait, wait, wait. Are you also suggesting that Avril Lavigne did not marry the guy from Sum 41 and then the guy from Nickelback? That's right. It was Melissa, not Avril, who married Derek Wembley from Sum 41. (laughs) And Melissa, not Avril, who married and divorced Chad Kroger from Nickelback. God, what a choice of husbands. What a choice. What is this legacy work, Melissa? Like, what is this legacy choice that Melissa is doing? The ruse couldn't stay seamless for long. (laughs) In 2007, New Avril and the team propping her up released (laughs) The Best Damn Thing. Stylistically, this album is very different from Let Go and Under My Skin. All of a sudden, this so-called Avril Lavigne had a new look. More eye makeup. Pink streaks in her hair. Mm -hmm. A bump it. Yep. What year was it? It was 2007. So I mean, it was it was prime bump it time. Everybody had it. Everybody knew you had it. It was just everybody a bump was it. snookying. Everybody snookied. <laughs> it wasn't our fault. It was just what we were what we had to to work with. Jawline differences, eyeline differences, a slightly different nose. <gasps> a professional photo in which New Avril is posing with her fist up with the word Melissa written in Sharpie on the back of her hand. Wait, There's no I other explanation. It. New Avril is the only thing that makes sense. Maybe she's gay. Maybe Avril was, but Melissa married and divorced Derek Wibley from Sum 41 in 2006 yes. and divorced him in 2010. And Melissa married Nickelback's Chad Kroger in 2013 and divorced him in 2015. Correct. Yep. Apparently in 2014, New Avril was asked about whether she was re- a replacement on live TV. And what? then after that interview, fumbled her performance. Was it because she was having a rough day? Because she was being hounded by accusations that she wasn't even herself? Or was it because she knows she isn't the real Avril? She was probably thrown off by the fucking weird-ass question. The public acknowledgement of the replacement theory stoked the fire once again. (laughs) Since this theory gained traction, the guy behind AvrilEstamorta.blogspot.com has claimed (laughs) that Avril Lavigne never died and was never replaced by a lookalike. He said the theory was an experiment to show how you could make anyone online believe anything. Okay, Okay. sure. Sure. But the post is still up. (laughs) I mean... I mean, I don't know what to believe. He started it and ended it, but it's neither started nor ended. In May 2017, the theory resurfaced again. What? 
when Twitter user at Givenchy ass posted a viral thread signal boosting it. <laughs> Sorry, did you just say Givenchy ass? Yes. yes. Okay. Givenchy right. ass. ass. Yes. Okay. Sorry. This is an independent journalist, miss. Right, right, I don't right, know right, why right, right. you're poo-pooing independent journalism. I'm poo-pooing. I'm confirming. <laughs> Givenchy ass noted, for example, that they couldn't find any trace of a Melissa Vandela. No social media, nothing. Oh, Replies were into it. At Sailor Saturn posted in all caps, the nose, the nose, the nose. I said this back in 2005 and I still hold on to this. Rhinoplasty. Bay Power pointed out that in the first two albums, original Avril had a Canadian accent, but it's since become less pronounced. The explanation? <laughs> Melissa is American and has no accent. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nobody's ever um, changed an accent. No one's ever adapted to life no. in a different right. country. At Roland Barb replied with a screenshot from Wikipedia. For the word Vandella, Melissa Vandella's apparent mm-hmm. last name. Okay. Saying that a Vandella is one of several types of ghost walking or dream invading demons or vampires in the <laughs> traditional folklore of the Amhara in north central Ethiopia. Take that. Take that. Take that. People started replying to Avril Lavigne's official tweets saying things like, hey, Melissa. <laughs> and. <laughs> Stop lying, Melissa. (laughs) This is so fucking insane. As of today, the Givenchy ass thread has 197,000 likes. Oh my god. What? Now, this isn't the first big celebrity replacement theory. Obviously, the biggest Mm -hmm. one is that Paul McCartney died on November 9th, 1966, and was replaced by a lookalike known as Billy Shears. Okay. It's a lot like my grandmother, not going to lie. My sister and I talk about it all the time. Paul McCartney? Maybe your grandmother's Paul the real now. Paul McCartney. Maybe. Looks like Paul McCartney? Yeah, they got this. It's Paul weird. McCartney now does look like a grandmother. No. And so why not Mrs. Grandmother? Like for like the last <laughs> 10 years, my sister and I have talked about how she kind of she kind of looks like Paul McCartney or Paul McCartney looks like her, however you want to do it. She's ever older. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I bring up the replacement theory because I find that it's one of the strangest and most insidious examples of parasocial relationships with celebrities. Because Uh this is what you're saying. You're saying, I know you. I know you so well that I know that you're not you anymore. And you, oh my gosh. When did we start gaslighting celebrities? Right? It's... (laughs) In that way, it's so callous and to treat it like, I mean, I'm sure a lot of these folks are treating it like a joke, Joke. just like I am in this story. But I want to to end it on a more serious note because it's like you're uh, you wouldn't necessarily treat a non-famous person this way. You wouldn't like it if a non-famous person were absolutely piled on like this and being told by everybody that they were not themselves and were in fact somebody else with a different name somebody came up to you and they're like hey Edie you're not Edie 
you're like, what the fuck? What are you talking about? I'm not eating. What are you talking I'm, about? I'm I'm me. I'm standing no, right Edie, here. You died in 2003 and were replaced by a skinwalker who looks just exactly like you. Just admit it. Admit it, or I'm leaving just this admit it. Up. Just admit it. And it's like it's 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 just so interesting to me how. Uh, bullying and like gang stalking is fun when it's celebrities <laughs> but it's yeah. not it shouldn't be fun when it's celebrities and to to finish up my husband told me that the person who was talking about this replacement theory really really no. seemed to believe it <sighs> and no. neither he neither my partner nor I want to rag on this person because it really does go to show kind of what um, the Avril Estamorta.blogspot.com guy was saying, which was, you know, you can get with enough information, with enough data points pointed at a person mm-hmm. online, you can get that person to believe anything. And it's very, very easy uh, for somebody to be, for anybody to be tricked into believing stuff online. Whomst among us has not read something, reacted to it as if it was real, and then found out that it wasn't. Yeah. I certainly have. I, I have. absolutely have. Yeah. And it's, you know, the ability to catch yourself is a good ability to have. Yes. But, you know, there are people in the world who do truly believe the obviously hoax story that Avril Lavigne <laughs> is dead and has been dead since 2003 and has He's, been replaced by somebody named Melissa who for 20 years 20 has assumed years. the life of a completely different person has gone through two marriages <laughs> in their person's someone entering else. into Very a publicly. third yes. entering into a third because Avril quote Avril got married <laughs> got engaged to some guy named Mod Son earlier this year mm, but like i don't know story. i just thought that this was a kind of my ideal spoopy story because um a it's the only spoopy story that's ever gonna come from my partner <laughs> and b it really gets at that um that willingness to be a part of something to be in the know about something to um, you know, that kind of the kind of groupthink and ultimately like gang stalking that can happen online, uh, and it's just one of th- this kind of online groupthink to me is um, in the this decade one of the biggest ways that uh, spoopiness manifests itself mm-hmm. as we live more online the conspiracy theories and ghost stories that we have, I think will probably continue to exist more and more online too. Uh, And I just, I just was so tickled by the Avril Lavigne replacement theory that I had to talk about it. (laughs) Her, uh, leave Avril alone. I'm reading right now. Um, there's a whole Wikipedia page devoted to it. I know. I'm it. Reading, I was just looking. And I'm yes. looking at some of the responses. She was like asked about it in 2014, and she's like in Brazil, and she's like, "Well, I'm here, and I'm in Brazil, which doesn't prove anything." Avril slash oh. Melissa, but she also said a couple years later, "Quote: No, I'm not dead. I'm here again." 
That doesn't. Here's the thing. You can't. How do you answer. prove someone's not? You can't something? prove that you are you. You can't prove that. No, I am me. I am not a replacement me. I didn't die 20 years ago. It's like it's it's no matter what you say, it's going to be like, oh, Melissa, trying to get one over on us again. There is nothing more dangerous than a little bit of information. Oh, I yes. know. Like I know. I've said I it once. I've said it a thousand times. It's just, it's very. Couldn't it's she very just dangerous. suffer from Lyme disease in peace? Like, <laughs> oh my God, I forgot. I'm sorry. Is that what it is? She has Lyme disease. Yeah, she that's has Lyme happened. disease. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Some, she was bedridden for years. Yeah. No, for a long horrible. time. I'm laughing, but I shouldn't because it's really bad. I'm sorry, Avril, that you had Lyme disease. <laughs> no, I mean, Lyme disease is no joke. Like, no, no it really isn't. No it really joke. isn't. The trick is don't go outside ever, and ticks mm-hmm. can't get you. Amen. Amen. Oh my God. All right, my loves. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this fucking outrageous episode. Wild. Yeah. If you liked it, please uh, head over to wherever you're listening to us talk at you and give us Mm -hmm. a nice, cute little review. Maybe maybe five five stars. stars. Five stars, or I will assume your identity and release albums as you for 20 years. I was just going to say, I was going to just start a rumor that you died, but (laughs) you're taking it above and beyond. (laughs) I was just going to say people that that listener's dead. I don't know. (laughs) All right. I don't know who's tweeting as that listener, but that listener is dead. (laughs) So obviously you have to give us five stars. If you, Want to hit us up on social media at Creepy Inquiries Pod. Find us on Instagram. Um, if you have any questions, suggestions, critiques, you could send us an email. Um, creepyinquiriespod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're interested in our sources, you can go to our website at creepyinquiriespod.com. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, listeners, for episode 47, the David Beckham aged episode. And until next time. Good.